I had uh, Damien Walsh Howling on. He was episode number three. Yeah. Um, and obviously you worked with him on Blue Healers. Yeah, we didn't actually work together. I know him very well, but um, he left before I started. All right. So we didn't actually cross over. In fact, I don't think we've ever actually worked together, but I know him very well. Yeah. <laughs> but you've been on a few of the same shows. Yeah, we've been on, yeah, I think quite a few of the same shows actually. Um, but never actually done a scene together or anything like that. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Do you find that happens a bit in um, this industry? Yeah, there's another mate of mine who I conti- we continually end up on the same job. So I'm always encouraging him to get more work because mm. I figure that'll get me more work. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, if you're on that show, then I'll be on that show. So, <laughs> mm. yeah, it's funny. It's funny how that works and it's not that it's who you know as opposed to your talent or your tenacity mm. or your work ethic, but there's certainly a great camaraderie and networking thing that happens in our industry, I've found. Yeah, totally. I think everyone's on the same, you know, actors, you know, other actors. It, it's not a competition mm. with your other actors in your eight. You know, it's like we're all on the same team. I'm friends with a lot of people who I go up for jobs against and I see them in the audition room. I'm like, hey, how are you? <laughs> you know, it's not, there's no rivalry kind of thing. Mm. Hi guys, Alistair Marks here, and welcome to this week's episode of Coming Up Next, this week's Ramble, and my guest on the show this week. Episode number 28 is a woman who you may know from Blue Healers, you may know her from Rake. In fact, you can see her coming up on the new season of Rake and on the new season of House Husbands. My guest this week on Coming Up Next is Jane Olsop. I just wanted to take a minute just to talk about something that I've been thinking a lot about over the last few days. I went to a Q&A with Quentin Tarantino, Samuel L. Jackson and Kurt Russell on Sunday night, which was following a screening of Quentin Tarantino's latest film, The Hateful Eight. And no, he hasn't paid me to say that, although I wish he would. Uh And I was really struck by this whole experience. The film itself I loved. Beautiful western shot on 70 mil and played like a roadshow film and i and i feel like this whole idea of of the film being an event has really become lost uh in in today's society i don't i don't feel like people are necessarily given a great reason to leave the house to go and see a film to have an experience of the film and i really thought that the way that they did this, it was it was about a five-hour experience from the time I arrived at the cinema, got to my seat, having bought some popcorn and a drink, uh, sat down with my program in hand, ready to start the film. And this particular version of the film, this particular cut, has a beautiful overture to begin the show, to really get you into the mood with the house lights still a little bit dim. And then as the overture finishes, the lights come down and we get thrust into the action of this amazing film, this uh, piece of art that really kind of harped back to the way films were made and the way films were presented. You know, the idea of a roadshow was 
that the filmmakers would pack their bags, throw them in the car with the print, and tour around the country, and I guess in latter days around the world, showing their films and being available as filmmakers to talk about the film. And it was just so inspiring to see. Uh, I'm not really sure why I'm rambling about this. It inspired me from a filmmaking point of view, but also inspired me in a community sense that, you know, everyone in that room was there together. We were all, it was all a big show, a big event, and we all kind of felt this common union around what was happening, around the fact that we were all bearing witness to these three legends of cinema chatting to us about their filmmaking process. There was no, there were no real walls up. I mean, sure, they had an entourage and they arrived with a fair amount of security attached to them. But for that one hour that this Q&A took place, we were all there together in this kind of symbiotic existence. Uh, anyway, I just wanted to share that with you and to say that if you do get the chance to go to a Q&A with a filmmaker, with the film attached to it, do yourself a favor, get out there and see the show because it really does add another dimension to the filmmaking process. And I know that I will certainly endeavor once I get the opportunity to be making television and film on that kind of scale that I will, ind- well, maybe not that scale, but uh, on, a, on a larger scale that I will certainly be touring with it and being the number one ambassador for the work that I'm putting out and hoping that people will be entertained by. Anyway, enough from me. Here is my chat with this week's coming up next guest, Jane Alsop. And that's probably why you've had a nice sustained career. Oh, I think it's I think it's such a um such a random mix of you know, of talent and luck I think you know I mean often it just comes down to whether you've got the right color hair or you look (laughs) like the you know it can come down to such obscure factors that it's and I think that's the hard thing because missing out on the job can come down to obscure factors Mm. missing out on the job can come down to the fact that you don't look like that person's mum or you're you know not the right height so mm. it's hard because sometimes you feel like you do something really amazing in the audition room and it doesn't get you the job and you think, I can't do any better than that. But mm. it's not necessarily about doing the best job you can, you know. Mm. There's just so many other factors that come into it. I guess that's why it's really important not to take those sort of things personally. It is. It is. But it's a real, it's been a very big, it's a very big learning journey <laughs> to be able to do that and not take it personally because at the end of the day, the product you're selling is yourself. Mm. So it's hard to, you know, and um, I feel like I do it a lot better now. Um, but yeah, it goes through stages. Sometimes you do take it personally and, mm. you know, you have to work on going, it's not about that. Mm. One of the things that's been fantastic is I've, I've done a lot of reading work, reading against the people who audition. And, um, As in in the, um, in the audition room. Yeah, yeah so it's yeah. not your audition, but you're reading opposite, you know, four or five different actors. Mm. And that has been really insightful because it's actually not always the person who I think does the best job who gets the part. So that's sort of reassuring in that sense that you can do a great test mm. and not get the job. And it's not necessarily a judgment on you not doing a great test. It's just 
come down to those other external factors, you know. Mm, I've had similar experiences as a director and I've come at this as an actor moving into being a director and a producer. Yep. And it's, yeah, whenever I've held auditions, there are some people who just have these outstanding auditions and takes on the character. Yeah. And you really, uh, it's been a few times where I've been like, how can I fit this person into Into my show? And sometimes it's just not possible. And sometimes you're just looking at it going, well, I'm just going to have to keep them in my back pocket for a more appropriate, um, project it's it's interesting actually i found out uh so when i got blue healers which i suppose was the most uh you know at that time the biggest sort of job i'd had in terms Mm. it was a main role um it was a huge break yeah yeah i but i found out at that point that three years earlier i had auditioned for the dash mckinley role which was tasma walton um had done and I'd gone up until sort of the final round and then not got that role. And obviously at the time you sort of go, ah, that's it, it's gone, you know. And you don't think it meant anything, but it was really interesting when I ended up getting cast three years later, the executive producer told me he had put his name, my name down on a piece of paper at that point and said he would somehow Mm. work with me, you know, he would develop something or, you know, and, the plan was always there. Mm. So it was interesting hearing that because you sort of think, oh, there can be people ticking away in the background on your side that you don't even know about. Mm. It's how, um, I'm not sure if you've watched Breaking Bad or not, but that's how Brian Cranston was cast in the main role of that. Um, He was in an episode of The X-Files, which the guy who directed and created Breaking Bad had directed. And he... And he was so um, enchanted, I guess, by his performance and his work on the X-Files that must have been 10 years later or something. He was like, I want this guy to play this part. And the executives were like, but he's the dad from Malcolm in the Middle. And he's like, no, no, trust me, check out this episode. Oh, that is my all-time favorite, favorite, favorite series. I just think that is actually the most remarkable piece of television ever made Malcolm in the Middle uh, yeah Malcolm in the Middle exactly (laughs) Um, the final series on that I think is just unsurpassable in terms Mm. of ticking every box in terms of its satisfaction you know it must be so hard to write a final episode and you know give the audience what they want but still surprise them and feel like you've completed the journey and Mm. I I just think it's so hard and I just reckon they did it perfectly yeah couldn't fault what they did is definitely outstanding TV drama. Oh, just, just amazing. My my most recent little uh, stint of enjoyable TV has been Bloodline. I don't know if you've watched that. I haven't watched that, but Damo Ooh. actually told me to watch it, Ooh, so yeah. it's on my list. Yeah, very good. Mm. Really enjoyed that. Really enjoyed that. Um, what's his name? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm. Yeah. I always want to I say know. Noah Taylor. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> um, I know. It, it's, it's Ben Mendelsohn. Ben Mendelsohn. I had a mental slip there for a second as well. Yeah, he's he is sublime mm. in that role. He is really so good, mm. so good. He's just kind of had this huge renaissance in the last sort of yeah. five years. Yeah, um, since Animal Kingdom, really. Yeah, it's quite um, quite amazing. I remember um, a friend of mine telling me who was working on a film with me. Um, and this would have been like eight years ago or something. He said to me, "If you want to get your film up, get Ben Mendelsohn involved." Yeah, and I was like, oh, "He's 
he's out of it. He's completely out of the picture. I don't yeah. understand what you're talking about. And now I'm like, okay, now I see what he was getting at. This guy is a an A-grade actor. Absolutely. It's funny though. You know, the thing that I find interesting is it, he's, he's not more talented than he used to be. Mm. It's just that people have realized it, mm. you know, um, which is always... It's always interesting to work, but you know, like people sort of go, oh, wow, that person's, it's like, yeah, they were probably that good 10 years ago when they were sitting at home in their lounge room and no Mm. one would employ them, you know, it just takes that one moment for people to go, oh, right. Oh, cool. He's, he's really good. It's like, Mm. yeah. Someone once said to me, it it takes a long time to become an overnight success. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you've probably seen that quite a bit with some of your peers, people that you, you went to the VCA yeah, there. well, kind of. Yeah, I did go to VCA, but I didn't do the, um, I didn't do their acting course. I did their, um, um, it was a strange course. It was, it was creative arts course. So it was, um, there was a drama component to it, um, but it was also, um, you know, painting and mm. writing and all that sort of stuff. It was right, a slightly yeah, odd course. One. So what happened was I had auditioned, um, for NIDA Whopper VCA straight out of school um, and got through the final round of NIDA and maybe Whopper as well. Maybe that was the next year. And then the following year got through the final round again of NIDA and Whopper but didn't get in. You know, it's like if anyone doesn't take their place, you're in. But mm. And then um, the year after that I kind of went, you know what, I, I don't actually think that's what I want to do because – you know, I was kind of already working at that point, not in any, you know, spectacular fashion, but I was working, I was doing guest roles and stuff like that. And I sort of thought, oh, I don't know if I want to go and spend three years mm. not working yeah. when I could kind of maybe in three years just plugging away at what I'm doing end up in the same spot. So, and interestingly, so that was the first year um, I decided not to audition and I got the call like a month after I hadn't auditioned and they and had the Blue Healers audition, mm. which I was actually walking out the door to go and go away for the week. And I was like really annoyed. I didn't want to stay. I was like, oh, what's the point? I'm not going to get it. It's no <laughs> point not going down the beach, you know, because mm. the audition was the next day. And I went, oh, okay. I suppose I'll go. <laughs> so lucky, I suppose. Mm. And you started quite young. You started doing drama classes when you were eight. Yeah, nine, I think I was nine. when I started doing classes. Um, and then the first sort of job I had was the first thing I'd ever been for, which was a commercial, a Wedgwood Pies commercial, mm. which Stephen Curry was actually in All right. that same ad. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, it was funny because, you know, it was just, okay, we're going to pay you, I think it was $500 and, you know, you go to this big mansion in Turak and... Running around in a bloody green bikini and eating party. Oh, no, actually, we weren't eating the party pies because they sprayed them all with fly spray. Mm. Um, but there was, you know, a whole bunch of people my age, and it was fun. And mm. why did they spray think, them? Spray them with fly spray so that so that all the so that they didn't get eaten. All the ones that right. were on set, you know, because yeah, yeah. there was like a hundred kids in this house. And grips like pies. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think at that young age, you just kind of go like, oh, this is. Fun. I just got 500 bucks. Cool. Mm. You know. And in today's economy, that would be like yeah, $10,000. Like, Whoa. <laughs> I'm loaded. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I had, 
saying that, I had always probably wanted to do acting. Um, I think that's it. You've got a cat meowing out there. <laughs> you have a cat? Yep. Does the cat now. wear pants? <laughs> right. Um, so the cat wears meow, the pants in the meow. house. Um, it's actually in the room. Is it? Is it? No, <laughs> you freak me out then. Um, <laughs> Foley soundstage. Uh, so you... Yeah, I'd always been interested in acting. You know, I, I, I remember sort of when I was in... And I have no idea where that came from, but I remember when I was in prep at school, they had the... Um, they had the school play mm. and, um, you know, they apparently cast the same girl at the school um, as Jesus every year. You know, right. She had sort of played <laughs> Jesus three years running. Well, at least they were for gender equality. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is true. Um, anyway, I remember being in prep and sort of being really annoyed that, you know, no one had asked me if I'd like to play Jesus, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I don't know where that drive came from, though, or, where, or that interest. Mm. Um, yeah, I have no idea really why. I... Do you remember the first time that you performed or entertained in, uh, a group of people, might have been family or friends or something, and you kind of had that little bit of adrenaline rush and you kind of... Yeah, I did a, um, I did a thing when I was in primary school which one of the teachers afterwards sort of gave my parents this article on some drama school and said, you must send your daughter here, you know. Mm. Yeah, and I suppose, yeah, so I do remember that and, um, yeah, I do remember those moments of sort of doing something, you know, cutting loose kind of on stage and it being quite, you know, an amazing feeling mm. um unfortunately don't do enough stage now I've, I've and every time i have done stage stuff i've, ha- I've had that amazing feeling but I, I haven't had as many opportunities to mm. to do it you know as i have tv i suppose it's quite different with um film and tv yeah they're sort of separate universes really mm. some... i guess the the only comparable experience is when you're showing uh, or screening the work as it's been created mm. because you don't really get that kind of immediate feedback when you're on set and you're doing a hundred no. takes of the same scene and no it's a very different process and it's very um yeah you're probably a lot more critical of your of your work when you know i mean i watch it back to sort of like you know, just see what I don't like about it and sort of what worked and stuff. But you never watch a theatre performance back. You just have that feeling that you had when you were doing it and Mm. it felt amazing. And there's sort of no judgment on it, which is Mm. nice. I probably should be doing more of that and less (laughs) TV. (laughs) Well, I don't know if if there is a should or a shouldn't about doing either more It's not always a choice. I mean, that's the interesting thing. A lot of people talk to you about you know, your choices in your career and you sort of think, God, there hasn't really been that much choice, really. I mean, mm. I've said no to a few things that I thought were absolute rubbish. <laughs> but, you know, it's not like you're really picking and choosing and carving out your career. You're just sort of getting what you get and going, okay, yeah, how much is it paying? Yeah, mm. sure, I'll do it. <laughs> it's much less um, crafted 
mm. than some people think. It's just yeah. sort of a luck of the draw thing, I think. Yeah, and I think, but I think it's also about the attitude that you have, and mm. you know, obviously, you're not going to do work that you think is crap. But no, being open to all the opportunities that do come your way. Yeah, and look, yeah, I think saying no is is an important thing because I think some of the things that I've had the been offered over the years, had I done them, the work that's followed wouldn't have happened. Mm. You know, had I said yes to that, I wouldn't have got this job or that job or, mm. you know, you, you start to... So I suppose there's that degree of choice, but but really most of the time you're just taking what you get and <laughs> being grateful. Mm. Being in the now. Yeah. Yeah, you can't really predict a chain of events like that. Not really. Um, so while you're at VCA, you as you said, you were doing a lot of guesties yeah. uh, on most of the television shows that were on in the 90s. Yeah. And then when you came out of VCA was when you landed the gig mm. on Blue Healers. Straight into it, straight from grad. In fact, just before graduation, I think. I, wow. Yeah. What was that like for you? Oh, look, starting on Healers was actually an enormously challenging, difficult... Uh, was It was very, very hard because... I had only done guest roles and what you don't realize when you're doing a guest role is that, you know, there's so much work that you're not doing and the main cast member is sort of, you know, like say you're, you move a bit and you've sort of gone into the shadow, you know, a main cast member will adjust themselves and sort of take the shadow off your face Mm. and you have no idea. You're just blissfully unaware doing your little (laughs) acting and going, oh, you know, Um, I put two days of work into this. Yeah, so you can you just all I was thinking about, I suppose, when I was doing guest roles is my performance, and just that was all I had to think about. So it was a really big step up to suddenly have to think about all the technical aspects, um, and and not only that, but you know, fix technical aspects for guest cast mm. as well. You know, when the guest cast was sort of you know adjust and and help. Because basically you've got such limited time to shoot each scene. There's just no, I mean, no shows really work on the hours that that, that show did now. Now mm. they do 13 weeks at most. We were doing 42 episodes a year. Wow. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think in my first, my very first day, I think I had 23 scenes. Mm-hmm on my first day in studio, <laughs> you know, and I'd That's only insane. ever done like, you know, if you're a guest role in something, you might have a couple of scenes for the day. And mm. so it was a really big jumping into the fire kind of. Mm. How did you prepare for that? Um, I didn't really. I just. <laughs> you just trusted you that just, you'd be able to take care of it. It's just one of those things. You don't really have have a choice. You're just sort of in it. I mean, I remember my very, I think it was my very first scene that I did and I was knocking on a caravan and I remember just sort of standing there before they called action and thinking, God, what the fuck have they done giving me the job? <laughs> Jesus, this is going to be a disaster. <laughs> you know, like mm. it was very daunting. Um, I've definitely had that thought about jobs before. Yeah. Well. Yeah. We just sort of standing there going, God, they've made a terrible mistake. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they're going to find me out quickly. Wow. <laughs> You know, so it was, it was really challenging. Um, and then, and, but then I stayed there, you know, if it was, that was five years. And by the end I found it 
the opposite of that. It was so not challenging. It was driving mm. me mad. I felt like I was, you know, my whole reason for loving acting is that you get to do a whole lot of different stuff. And I felt like I was turning up every day and doing the same thing. And that was mm. exactly what I didn't want to do. And I didn't want to work in an office. And here I am in an office every day and I'm wearing a uniform and it suddenly became everything that I didn't want to do in a job. Mm. Um, so I was pleased to leave by the time I got to the end. I'd, you know, I'd had enough of getting up at 5am mm. every single day and working, doing publicity on weekends and getting home at seven o'clock at night and learning lines for two hours. And, you know, and I was young and wanted to party. And yeah, yeah. So I was, I was partying, but I was combining that with working a 60 hour week. It was a bit exhausting. Mm, that would be exhausting. Mm. Um, what I'm, I, I went and um, met with the people at Neighbours about mm. doing some directing for them not long ago. And I'd never kind of been in the cauldron there, so yeah. to speak. Um, and I imagine it, what you're describing sounds quite similar in terms of their output. It's probably more intense at Neighbours. Yeah, well, that's four cameras or what are three cameras and mm. flat out. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty full on. And when they described to me how it works, which is, you know, the general public wouldn't really know. Mm. They'd just go, well, there's five episodes a week. Yeah. But what that equates to is like a six-week block where you're shooting. Um, I, I can't even remember how many episodes it was in that time. Insane. My, my hubby's just been working on Neighbours, actually. He's oh, yeah. been playing, um, what's in, um, Dennis D'Amato. Or Mr. Tomato, as I like to call him. Mr. Tomato. <laughs> yeah. Um, a distant relative of Mr. Potato. That's exactly right. Um, yeah, he's, he's had a ball out there. He's had a great, great time. And a, it, it was a really good character and he's had a lot of fun. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's it's insane. It's really, really, really difficult. And I think what people don't realise as well is sometimes those, you know, I mean, I think, you know, Neighbours isn't a, a great show. It's not, you know the most amazing writing in the mm. world because there's five episodes a week. It's not like they've spent, you know, three months, you yeah. know, six months polishing each one, you know, but I think what a lot of people don't realise when they watch, um, you know, shows like that, that's the hardest. Mm. That's, the, you know, those jobs where you've got a lot of, there's always be a lot of exposition in the scripts because, you know, people have got to tune in and tune out and know what's happening and, you know, so the the dialogue can sometimes be a bit loaded with exposition, expositional things that aren't easy to make sound natural, and mm. you know that's that's amazing actors, you know, to mm. pull off that stuff and pull it pull off pull it off well. You know, it's well, actually very hard. That's why I think um, you know a lot of the actors that do come from those shows and shows like Blue Healers Home and Away. Mm. These are the people that do go on to have mm. sustained careers because once you've kind of done that, it's like... Everything's easy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Everything I've moved on to since then, I remember I was working on Rush for for a while and, um, you know, everyone said, oh, you know, it's it's really full on. It's really fast paced. So, you know, and I was kind of like, are you kidding me? This is like a walk <laughs> in the park. We're doing like eight scenes for the day. They're all on location. This is, mm. You know, yeah. it was nothing compared to... And that's the great thing. Once you can do, and once, you know, I suppose the other great thing I got out of healers is the ability to, you know, learn lines in a, you know, really mm. 
I don't know, it's, it's just a learned skill, I suppose, that you develop by doing it that often. If you've got to store 20 scenes in your brain, go home, learn another 20, come in the next day, do another 20, you know, learn another, you know, you do learn to to do that. And that mm. has been a very useful thing because, you know, I've been on um, just even last year doing a, a scene in um, Rake and they we basically rewrote the entire scene between Richard and I over lunch. Right. And then we were going straight into filming it. And it was a huge scene. It was it was massive slabs of dialogue and mm. we totally rejiggled the whole thing and rewrote. You know, and it's only that skill that you can go, thank God mm. I can do that and learn those lines that quickly because otherwise... Mm. Well, it makes you very valuable. I well, it just, it, it's just reassuring for yourself because, you know, when you do get in those scenarios where suddenly they throw something at you, mm. you know, um, and I've had that in audition scenes, you know, too. Oh, whoops, we forgot to give you the, the right scene. You know, <laughs> do you want to have a quick look at it and do it, you know? I was wondering why this character's name was Justin. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, some, or they send through an old draft and go, oh, no, no, we've completely written it, mm. rewritten it, you know, do this one now. You know, so that that's that's useful, I suppose, to be able to do that now. Mm. How I mean, I remember it's been a while since I have put on the acting boots, but when I was, I, I had developed the ability to learn scripts quite quickly, mm. and the way that I did it, it wasn't conscious at the time, but reflecting on it now, I realised that what I would do is I would memorise the geography of the page, and I would remember where the words and the sentences fit. And so mm. then it became just a recall of that and it would be like moving in on the or honing in on the area that I needed to recite. Yeah, it's really funny. There's so many different ways people do it. Funnily enough for me, it's got to do with um, breaking it up into the sort of beats. And it, so a scene then becomes like, oh, there's three lines where I'm sort of in this territory. Mm. And then there's three lines where I'm over here doing this mm. and then there's two lines where I have a go at him and two lines when I leave or something. So it becomes like this number, it's like three, three, two, two, and I can sort of <laughs> know somehow that helps give me a structure yeah, yeah. Of, of kind of going, you know, and it also I suppose helps the thought process a bit where you go like, oh, I'm in this bit, mm. then I'm in this bit, then I'm, you know, but it's the number, I always break it down into the numbers and that somehow. Mm, that's a great technique remember it yeah yeah because it creates much smaller chunks to yeah exactly exactly yeah Mm, it's kind of like a cheat sheet in your brain yeah yeah it is you know and you know you've sort of just got oh that's yeah i don't know how that helps but but for me that's what works whereas i know a lot of you know my um husband dave will record it and listen to him doing both parts back and forth Mm. um and then record it with a gap for him to talk. So he'll do the other lines and then a oh, gap wow. and he'll rehearse it that way, you know, so that a lot of people have, and some people write down the first letter of each word. I've heard of people doing that. Wow. Um, yeah, there's a lot of different, it's, I suppose, just however your brain's wired, what works. Yeah. Mm. And while you were working on Blue Healers, you won a Logie. I did. I did. Yeah. Which is weird. I mean, <laughs> it's currently a doorstop in my house. Right. Um, and it's like seriously nearly broken. It's been knocked over so many times. Mm. Um, Not something you ever aspired to. 
<sighs> I feel like it's something I, that would be really uh, gratifying uh, in terms of knowing that you're... I'll let you talk. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't like to, you know, poo-poo, you know. Uh, I don't know. It, it's funny. It, 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 in honesty, it doesn't actually bring me any particular... To me, it's it's just sort of a game mm. that's played between networks and, you know, I don't know that it's necessarily a genuine reflection of, you know, the best talent. Mm. <laughs> it just it just feels like a, a, a network's game to mm. me. And, you know, yes, it was the... Number one rating TV show, so I suppose that's how it works. You know that that gets more more votes and and I I, I don't know I don't, you know does does everyone buy TV Week and does everyone vote? Probably not. Mm. <laughs> Probably like five thousand people, you know, mm. voted. And... <laughs> so I don't know. It, it doesn't have it. It doesn't have a profoundly deep meaning to me. But that's not to be rude to the institution that does that or. No, it's just a personal. You know, it just it just it doesn't thing. hold that much weight for me personally. Yeah, mm. is that your kind of thoughts on accolades in general in this industry? I just think it's hard to uh, it's hard to measure. It's such a subjective thing. Um, I think it's. I mean, obviously, you've got people like Meryl Streep who is just sublime and amazing mm. and everything she does and she's won a mountain of oscars and she deserves every one of them but yeah it's a really it's a, it's a hard thing to put your finger on to say oh who is best mm. i mean really because so much of it comes down to the role that was written you know um it feels like nowadays so much of it comes down to when the film was released yeah exactly that seems you like know. a weird yeah factor so it's kind of yeah it's a strange thing you know i mean you know, you put up five nominees that probably all equally deserving of, you know, on a par. It's it's hard. How do you pick a winner out of an artistic mm. pursuit like acting? It's sort of a hard thing to measure. Mm. And so when you uh, finished Blue Healers, you said um, that you'd, you were ready to move on. Mm. Um, and you started working on MDA. Yeah. Then. Did you find it difficult? Did you feel like you were, uh, dare I say, being typecast from doing such a long-running stint? Yeah. Yeah, it was tricky. Um, You know, people, you know, don't want you to be Joe Parrish, you know, when you go and do another job. But at the same time, there's, I suppose, you know, you end up when you do a regular show, you have to bring an element of yourself to that. We don't have to, but I suppose in that scenario, I did bring an element. To me, that character was really the, you know, the naughty schoolgirl mm. that I used to be, you know, yeah. slightly rebellious, you know. So, um, and, you know, your face is still the same. Mm. So it's hard to kind of go, you know, if you give a natural performance that you think is justified for the role and people, oh, it's a bit Joe Paris. Well, you know, it's still my head. It's a bit hard to change heads. Mm. Um, but I think I was lucky. I think actually probably what helped me turn that around a bit was when I got the opportunity to play some more character roles. So um, I played Nolene Brown in The King, mm-hmm. um, which was 
um, you know, well-received, probably not hugely watched by people, but, you know, very well-received kind of in the industry. And then other jobs like The Slap, which was, you know, again, um, a more character-driven kind of pace and stuff like that where people start to go, oh, right, you can do different stuff. It's like, yeah, I can do different stuff if that's what the role is. Mm. But there's no point trying to make it different if that's not what the character on the page is, you know. Mm. Yeah, I guess that's true. And, um, and you know, I, I feel like it's better to be typecast than not cast at all anyway. Well, yeah, there's that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. Um, yeah, but I, I, I mean, I actually enjoy, I've quite enjoyed the things that I've done which have been quite different from myself. Mm. Um, and even the stuff at the moment with House Husbands is completely so not me Mm. um but you know it's fun it's fun to do that and that's Mm. i mean that's acting isn't it that's what we get a buzz out of so often is doing that stuff that is not like yourself um but but you know the opportunities aren't always there to do that sometimes the role is just a very normal person Mm. you know and there's no point you know adding unnecessary elements to that role. I mean, of course you can add elements to it if, if they're working, but you can't just kind of jam in some random stuff Quirk. that has nothing to do with the, and is just a complete distraction, mm. you know? So it really depends on, on what's on paper, you know, what are you given to work with? Mm. Yeah. And, um, what about when you play, like you're saying in the King or in the in excess? Um, yeah. Uh, miniseries where you're given the role of a real person Mm. how have you approached that look i actually i actually met nolene brown just for the first time on friday um but the nolene brown one was actually a bit scary because i wasn't given the opportunity to talk to her um they weren't really on board with the whole project happening Mm. um so i literally had just a very small amount of footage to go off to create the role. And I had this blankety blanks footage mm. and I really just went off that, but it was a little bit scary yeah. going, she's going to watch this and what is she going to think? And so it was, I, it was a relief because ultimately it was very well received and people thought it was a good, you know, um, depiction of her, but mm. it is a bit scary um, you know, the in excess one, probably less so because it was, you know, smaller sort of role. It probably wasn't particularly complimentary, but, you know, <laughs> I felt like the Nolene Brown one was a more larger part and, you know, more, mm. you know, possible to sort of cause offence. But I ran into her on Friday and she said she uh, thought it was very good. So I was like oh, finally awesome. relieved after, you know, 15 years or yeah. whatever it is. <laughs> say that's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. No, relieved. I haven't been losing sleep over it, but I was, I was always wondering. So mm. it was nice to hear that she, she liked it. Yeah. Mm. I had um, Sam Johnson and Molly Meldrum on the podcast at separate oh, times. Oh, wow. And sort of listened to them both talking about, what the experience was like of mm. like for Sam of playing Molly and for Molly of watching himself yeah. with Sam sitting next to him, watching his life unfold on yeah. screen. And they were both saying, you know, it's it's quite a remarkable and um unusual experience. Mm. Mm. Um so I imagine from the performer's point of view you really wanna 
do justice for the person who you're representing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's daunting. It sort of puts extra boundaries, I suppose, if you were just given that role and it wasn't based on someone, you would sort of just make up what you wanted to do with it. Mm. So it, it's interesting. It puts extra restrictions, in a sense, on what you can do because you need to tie in with what that person is that w- was actually like. But in some ways, those restrictions are quite liberating because they make you make choices that you would never have normally made, mm. you know. So it's a, it's a funny combination. Yeah, probably more daunting to play a real person than just some random. Mm. Mm. What's uh, what's the set like at um, House Husbands? I had Reese Muldoon yep. in here, and it sounded like it was not uh, things weren't taken too seriously on set at House no. Husbands. Well, certainly not by Reese. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a lot of scenes with Reese in the um, because I play his boss. Mm. Um, so yeah, we've had a hilarious time. Um, yeah, everyone's lovely. And, and my son has actually been on there as well, which has been really interesting and not something I ever envisioned I would be doing. Wow. Um, but yeah, they had a, they decided to give my character a seven year old son and I had a seven year old and they asked him to come in and audition and he was amazing Mm. and actually just blew me away. Lucky Um, he looks like you. Yeah, and he looks like me as well, so I suppose it was... And it was the right height, yeah, the right haircut. that's right. <laughs> he looked like the mother, so it worked for him. Mm. Um, so that's been really cool. I mean, I'm kind of... Con- part of me is kind of concerned. I'm like, my God, do I really want him to go into acting? And, you know, he's bound to want to because there's like sweet biscuits on set and he misses <laughs> a day of school and all these adults talk to him and, you know, he's getting all this... You know, I mean, it would be a dream. Yeah, it'd be a dream for a kid because they go on set and there's, you know, Gary Sweet has been amazing with Jagger and, you know, chats to him and all that stuff and, you know, g'day, mate, and mm. all this stuff. And so from a child's point of view, you're just going, this is awesome. Mm. All these adults who are, you know, you're not actors alike, they're playful adults anyway, mm. you know. Are talking to me and giving me attention and then we go and sit in a big tent and you can eat whatever you want. There's all this food and then there's sweet biscuits on set. What's not to like? Mm. I agree. It is a big kid's playground. Yeah, but that's kind of scary because I'm like, mm, I'm not sure whether he should do something else. But... Well, he has two parents who are both actors. Yeah. So he's kind of doomed. Yeah, he is kind of He'll doomed. He'll probably be a child actor and then a director. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, that wouldn't be too bad. That wouldn't be too bad. Mm. So, Jagger, if you're listening to this in the future, <laughs> that's right. be a director. That's right. And to my other son as well, Indy, go direct, produce, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, on that point, um, your husband is an actor as well. Yep. How did you guys meet? We met when I was uh, 13 years old right. at drama classes. Wow. And uh, ask how old he was. Uh, so I think he was, I was 13 or 14 and he must have been 17 or 18. Um, we're just really good friends. Mm. And then we got together when I was about 20. Oh yeah. And that was it. Wow. And we got married last year. Wow. Congratulations. 18 years (laughs) together. Um, this may be a redundant question, but why after 18 years did you? Yeah, I know. I know. It is kind of crazy. I think it was partly midlife crisis. Um, we just sort of had a 
a bit of a reverse midlife crisis. Dave went and got a whole lot of tattoos. We decided to get married. Um, yeah, we just sort of did it. Bought a surfboard. Yeah, you know, but I, as I said to someone, you know, it's better than, you know, going and having an affair, which is what some people do with their midlife crisis. We're having kind of having the reverse of that, mm. you know, bringing ourselves more together. <laughs> so um, It's beautiful. Yeah, and the kid, the kids asked us to actually was oh, wow. sort of they sort of asked us to over dinner and mm. and then I casually said something about oh it'd be nice to take a holiday and and then um, yeah Dave proposed the next day and just said you know let's let's go to Bali and get married and it took me by surprise I, I would have and you know good on him because I would have procrastinated for another two years about whether or not to do it and should we or shouldn't we and maybe we shouldn't and you know and I did have an initial panic attack about 24 hours after he asked and I went oh oh I'm not sure if I want to now Mm. you know kind of freaked out um but yeah I'm really glad we did and it was beautiful yeah Mm. what was your first date after uh seven years of flirting um oh god I don't know we uh we got together when we went away, actually, um, which was very nice. But uh, up to sort of you know up to the country, which was nice. Mm. But it was very. It was a. It was a. I mean, we are still best friends as well. So it was quite a. Um, you know, we were really good mates. We'd sort of chat on the phone for hours, or you know, meet up at a pub and just you know, drink and chat for. So we sort of did it in a strange. It was a strange. Mm. Way to go. We were such good friends before we got together that it was, there was a little bit of a weird kind of, we went, oh, this is a bit hmm. weird. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's such a strong, solid basis there, you know, um, mm. which I think is really good. You know, I think it's, it's great that it's that way. And we are still, you know, very much mm. friends. How important well. do you think that is in the structure of a relationship? Really important. I mean, yeah. I mean, we, you know, people would often um, earlier on in our in our relationship and stuff. You know, people would sometimes give a shit that we'd be, you know, the two of us would be at a party mm. and we'd be over in the corner just talking to each other. They're like, "What are you doing? You're at a party. <laughs> Talk to everyone else. Why are you busy in the corner talking to each other?" You know. Um, but we just we really get along. Mm. You know. Um, yeah, we just we get along very very well, and we're just obviously, yeah, very suited to one another, you know. And um, it, we we really don't fight, but the, there's been a couple of occasions we've sort of had a minor kind of you know disagreement or something. And it's funny because the first person I want to ring to talk about it is Dave. Right. I'm like, oh, geez, that's right. It's you that I've had the you know disagreement with. I can't ring you about you, you know. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's funny. Mm. How have you found? Because one of the things I'm quite fascinated by, having been around for a decade or so in the film industry, mostly on the peripheral, but now kind of stepping into it, is the way that people approach relationships. Because I've witnessed people who have just gone cycled through relationship after relationship and can't hold one down Mm. who work in the industry and then people like yourself who just found the right person Mm. and you clicked and you had this amazing friendship and this great romance that's lasted and sustained Mm. and in your case is stronger than ever Mm. um how how have you what 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 do you think the key to sustaining that sort of thing is i don't know i I think i've been really lucky that 
I didn't uh, that I was already in a relationship before um, before I got blue healers or anything like that. I think it would be it's probably easy to get sucked into. I don't know. There's a lot of there's a degree of bullshit that goes with any job like that, and mm. you know there are some people who will want to be friends with you or want to talk to you not for necessarily the right reasons or you know so it can be a slightly um i mean i don't know i yeah it can be a slightly shallow world that being said i know so many people amazing people in the industry who are anything but shallow and who are most amazing people i know so Mm. you know you can't generalize but yeah i think i was just i was lucky I, i wouldn't want to be really looking for love while you're mm. in the middle of, I don't know. I think it's that friendship that you were talking about before yeah. is really fundamental to not even just in the film industry, but in mm. a relationship in life in general, you kind of, it's the person you're spending the most time with. You kind yeah. of want to be best friends with them. Yeah, that's right. And you need to be able to laugh too. Yeah. You need to be able to have a good time, I think. Mm. Mm. Well, that shared laughter is one of the highest forms of intimacy, really. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And it's good, you know, a lot of, you know, if Dave and I start to sort of, you know, it'll be something minor, but some little thing that we're both sort of having a little dig at each other, but one of us will inevitably turn it into a slightly comic Mm. moment, you know, and it sort of breaks it and you go, yeah, you know, I still (laughs) meant what I said, but, (laughs) yeah, you know. And you kind of, it's not that you're making light of the situation, but you're not taking yourselves too seriously. No, that's right. Yeah. Mm. How did you guys get married in Bali? What was the proceeding? Um, it was a Buddhist wedding. Wow. Yeah, barefoot Buddhist bohemian kind of wedding. It was beautiful. I've never heard of that before. Um, yeah. It sounds awesome. It's, um, you actually can't have a civil ceremony in Bali. It has to be one of the religions. It has to be one of mm. the uh, Chris, Christian or Muslim or Buddhist or something or other else. And um, Buddhism was the only one that sort of had any appeal for me. I, I did read, you know, when I was younger, I was read a lot of books about Buddhism and was quite into that. I'm not, I'm not religious. Um, I, I suppose I like the philosophy behind Buddhism and mm. what it sort of stands for. What's that for you? Um, I just like, you know, that idea of, you know, right intentions, right, Mm. You know, um, yeah, yeah, that it's, I don't know, you know, just about being the person you think you should be, mm. really, those right intentions and right words and right, you know, and living your life in that way, which I, I like the theory behind that, but, you know, I don't know that I believe in you know, all the stuff about people coming back in other lives and all that sort of stuff. But, mm. um, yeah, I just think it's got a nice philosophy behind it. So mm. it was nice to do a wedding in that style. Mm. Yeah, it sounds really uh, peaceful. Yeah, yeah. It was a beautiful, you know, beautiful villa and, you know, beautiful colours and, yeah, it was – and 50 sort of friends and stuff came over and, yeah, it was really – it was a lovely, lovely day. Mm. Is your husband, is he of the kind of, that same kind of Buddhist mindset? Yeah, I mean, look, we're both atheists, really. Um, 
but yeah, in, in terms of yeah, we both like the the principles behind behind Buddhism. Mm. Um, you know, as I said, we're not we're not religious. We don't believe in some magic man in the sky or anything. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I, I I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm returning slightly to a slightly more. Uh, I don't know whether spiritual is the right word, but a bit more of an instinctive kind of something mm. uh, that I used to have when I was younger. And I feel like I've spent a long way, long time away from that. And I've kind of come back to that. I don't know how to exactly explain that, but I understand you're rebelling against yeah. your intuition in a sense. Yes, exactly. I feel like I've come back to in recent times, come back to a slightly more centered kind of, Spiritual is not quite the right word, but yeah. I don't know whether that made any sense, but... No, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. You're coming back to yourself, really. Yes, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there was a certain place where I was when I was maybe, you know, in my teens or something where I had a a, a thought process about the way life was. Mm. And I feel like I kind of journeyed out of that. And I feel like actually now I'm returning more to that slightly more... I don't know the right word, but yeah. <laughs> Maybe there isn't a word. No, it's no. Just a, it's a feeling, feeling, I think, more than mm. anything. Mm. Mm. As a So would you say that you're a, um, a like an evolutionist, like in a kind of Darwinian sense, I yes. guess? Yes, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I think, I think that um, there is also beauty in science. Mm. You know, I suppose that's what I'm coming back to, you know, that yes, I believe in all those cold hard facts. But this can still be a kind of um, rhythm to nature mm. that has meaning. You know, I think that's where I'm kind of coming back to a sense of things are the way they are for a reason and all that sort of stuff. It's not it's not a, a God reason, mm. you know, but there's just that kind of comfortableness with, yeah, you know, everything happens in its place for a reason and... That's cool. Mm. Mm. There's a great quote that I've shared on this podcast a couple of times, which is from a poet who says that magic is just science undiscovered. Yes. Yeah. And I really like that idea. Yeah. Um, and someone who I was um, talking to on the phone recently was telling me, he said to me, what, what's a miracle? Um, and I said, what's, what, what is it? And he said, it's, um, it's just something that we don't understand yet. Mm. And he said, if you took a car and put it 400 years ago or a plane that's right put it for or a phone or even 100 years ago 200 yeah. years ago that that would appear as though it was a miracle that's exactly right whereas today we understand it we comprehend it we have created it yeah Therefore, that's right the magic is dispelled that's exactly right exactly right i think i think the other thing in terms of talking about that that random thing we were talking about that we couldn't name um <laughs> is you know i think it's that intuition thing as well mm. i think um, you know, I, I used to listen to my intuition very strongly and I think there's been a period in my life where I've had it a bit switched off mm. and I've turned it back on now, you know, and just, just that listening to sometimes you just know stuff, mm. you know, and you don't know why and there's not necessarily a reason to it, but you just have that feeling that you know something. Um, 
you know, and I think a lot of logical reason tells you not to listen to that sort of stuff. Mm. You know, as you become an adult, you sort of go like, oh, yeah, that's just nonsense. We, you know, whereas now I feel like I'm going back and they're going, no, no, I'm going to listen to mm. to that stuff because it's mostly right. Well, there's a lot of like Eastern philosophies that um, look at the, the, you know, the different mindsets. There's, you know, there's the the mind in your brain, there's mm. the mind in your in your mm. heart, in your chest, there's the mind in your gut, and there's the mind in your sexual organs. Yeah. And I think the ideal state is living from your heart, where your heart is using, your heart mind, I guess, is using the other minds to um, collaborate with. But I think what we in the West tend to gear towards is using is the, head. The, head, yeah. the head mind. I completely agree. I so agree with that. I think... And that exactly explains what I was trying to put words to. Yeah, I've been very much just, you know, I used to very much live in that kind of heart space where it was all very intuitive and kind of just going on gut instinct on things. And I think as you become an adult, you just sort of get a bit more into your head about choices, decisions, you know. Um, Yeah, and there's just been certain things that have, you know, over the last couple of years I've just really moved back into that Mm. space where i'm like you know what it's not always something you can logically Mm. sort out with your mind sometimes you just gotta listen to your heart and and make your decisions based on the way you feel and if Mm. you just trust in that and that's the thing managing to trust it you know but in my experience whenever i trust that i make the right decision Mm. you know Mm. it's funny how we you know we have this instinct that has evolved mm. if you particularly if you're an evolutionist mm. or have that kind of belief it's this instinct that's evolved over thousands and thousands mm. and thousands of years yeah. that suddenly in the last however many hundred years we've just mm. kind of started to ignore yeah and we put so much pressure on academic it's crazy and, um intellectual intelligence mm. as our primary driver but really that's almost that's kind of where the fear space lives yeah and the loving space lives yeah in your heart in your in in that in that mind in that instinctive intuitive energy yeah yeah it, it's funny isn't it and like when you just explained it then you're um it is an evolved scientific thing actually instinct mm. it actually isn't something airy fairy instinct no. is an evolved sense just because we can't necessarily describe it uh, doesn't mean it doesn't have value. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know when you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, you do. It's really funny. I have really very strong instincts about things, but, I, I, yeah, I feel like I've come out of a phase of ignoring them too often, and now I'm back listening to them going, yeah, and, you know, and things fall into place. Mm. It's funny, when I, when I nearly make a... a, a you know, when I nearly make a choice that is not, you know, I f- it feels so uncomfortable. I feel really, you know, and then I go, no, nah, it's not the right choice. Mm. Shouldn't be doing that. No. Nah. Mm. Mm. And I dare say that when you have been acting, you've actually let that part of you live. The, mm. and, and you've trusted your instinct and your intuition, mm. but it's in your civilian life that you've kind of mm. abandoned it almost. Yeah. And, and acting is a very instinctive you know, I mean, when you look at the people who become actors, you know, a lot of them are people who are very in tune with that. That's that's what you're working with. That's what you're, you know, you're feeling 
the other person when you're doing a scene with them. You're you're working off that stuff, mm. you know. So you're working on house husbands at the moment. Um, what's the kind of what's your trajectory that you see from here, or you're not kind of looking beyond? Um, I don't know. I just did a I did a tiny bit more on rake. I did quite a bit of rake for the last series, but only a smaller amount for this one. Um, there's some more house husbands coming along. Don't know whether I'm meant to say that. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's more of that um, coming up. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, every year sort of, it's funny, I, I've just been doing the tax and I always, every year it's funny, I sit down, you know, I start out every year going, I'm potentially going to make $0 this year. There is no mm. guaranteed work at all. Uh, you know, and even when there is, you know, you'll have guaranteed work and then it disappears or changes or something happens. So I sort of start out every year going, I could do nothing. Mm. But it's funny, you know, I get to the end of each financial year and go and see the accountant and it's always about the same. It's like it does just tick along, but it ticks along in a whole whole bunch of random kind of events that eventually come together and create, yes, I worked this year. Mm. Um, but you never know where it's coming from. So it's always just a kind of wait and see. Mm. How do you reconcile that fear that you may earn $0 in that year? I think I've moved beyond it. Right. <laughs> I don't think I, I don't think I, yeah. I don't know whether I, I don't think, I don't know if I've ever worried really. I mean, I suppose it's, yeah, it's come to me in a strange because I came into it, you know, earning a lot of more money than I would have ever thought I'd be earning at that young age. And so then when it all disappeared, I sort of wasn't really worried because I'm like, well, that's all right. I've got myself a house and, you know, I was happy to kind of have a low mm. bit for a while. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm not a big worrier about money i just sort of let it easy come easy go a bit i suppose mm. um and as i said randomly i get to the end of each year and go yeah it's about the same <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I don't, I don't really stress about it but i mean i suppose more what i look for in the acting thing is i think god it'd be lovely to have something a role that really satisfied me mm. you know that's what you hope for each year as opposed to hoping for the money mm. um you sort of go god i'd love to crack something that was really interested me and was really, you know, exciting and challenging mm. and, you know, that doesn't always happen. But. Mm. <laughs> Did you have uh, or do you have aspirations of working over in the States? Uh, no, I think they've vaporized really. Um, I, I did. Well, not that I did, but I, I kind of looked into it. I did go over there briefly for a couple of weeks. Um. The sense I was actually pregnant with my first son when I went over there, so it was never really going to happen. But um, I, it's a really exciting place. But I did get the sense that really to make a serious go of it, you need to live there, really, probably, to be really going at it. Mm. And I wouldn't want to live there, you know. And you sort of have to ask yourself sometimes, you know, it's that whole thing of be careful what you want. I mean, is that really, really what I'd want not really I mean mm. I don't know if I could be bothered working that hard <laughs> and 
you know, I mean, who on earth would want to be famous, like famous, famous? I think that would be kind of mm. horrible, kind of, you know. Under house arrest almost. Yeah. In a giant you know? mansion. Um, so, I mean, I had a small, tiny taste of that with my time on Blue Healers and I, that aspect of it I didn't like. I didn't mm. like people pointing at you when you walk down the street or talking about you or, you know, it's not nice. Mm. I mean, yeah, you get paid so you know you put up with it and you know you can't you know people can't whinge about it you know when they're getting great a blockbuster you know movies and Mm. then go i don't want to be famous but um you know it's part and parcel of it but it's not yeah i don't think i'd want massive fame and i mean it would be amazing to work on those you know, amazing projects like what we talked about, you know, Breaking Bad. I mean, my God, to get to work with writing like that would be extraordinary. Mm. But, you know, I mean, I've got two kids. I don't actually want to work every day necessarily. Mm. (laughs) Um, When would you do podcasts? When would I do podcasts like this? (laughs) I would miss out on that golden opportunity. Yeah. Um, You know, there's more to life than just working. Mm. So... No, I think my, my – and reality is I'm 40 and, um, you know, people don't like looking at old people on TV. Don't they? <laughs> I, I feel like you're in a niche now. Um, yeah, look, look, uh, Australian content over the last few years um, has been kinder to this demographic than what it's been previously. mm you know, there's been amazing shows like Tangle, which I was lucky to be part of. This was all about middle-aged women and, you know. So there has been some really fantastic stuff. But I still think there's a, uh, there is a slight mismatch with what, mm, who to blame, the public producers, you know, <laughs> uh, with, you know, women appearing to be an age on television i mean inevitably you know i mean i think even the job i did on rake you know i was kind of considered a bit the older kind of woman for his character Mm. you know but i'm still like 15 years younger than he is or something you know something close to that you know but it's that whole thing of what on screen we expect to see you know and people who are my contemporaries who are male you know their wife on a TV show will inevitably be, you know, 10, 15 years younger than me. So it's just that thing of what we expect to see, I suppose, on television, you know. Mm. We're not really as open to seeing what we see in real life, which is, you know, 40-year-old men with 40-year-old women. Mm. We don't necessarily, we're not so as accepting of that on TV. E- either that or producers aren't, putting that forward to an audience for their own prejudices. I don't know. Mm. Well, it probably goes back to the 90s ideal that sex sells. Yeah. And they still believe that 25-year-old women are more desirable than 40-year-old women. Yeah, but it becomes a bit like which came first, the chicken or the egg, you know. You sort of start to go, yeah, but if producers put people in those roles would audiences go yeah or you know well i mean proofs in the pudding like yeah. reference breaking bad two incredibly strong women absolutely in that the the sisters um yeah. and they're of 
relative age yeah. to their partners. Yeah, yeah. I buy that. I mean, I, mean, I buy it too. I, and I love seeing, you know, great, amazing women of my age and older mm. on screen and I don't don't sit there and go, damn, <laughs> you know, but I, I don't know. No, I, I, I take your point for yeah. sure and I think it is a, an issue that should be remedied. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even the um, even the role I played on on Rush, which I was exactly the same age as um, Cal, who I was playing uh, his girlfriend in the show, um, you know, the, the character description was, you know, the older woman, <laughs> you know, the older cougar, wow. you know. And you kind of go, wow, it's so, you know, why do we have to look at it like that? Why do we have to sort mm. of... You know, we're so accepting of lines on men's faces, you know, Jack Nicholson and, you know, whereas if Jack Nicholson was a woman and had anything approaching those number of lines on his face, it would sort of kind of go, oh, oh, God, mm. you know. I mean, I'm not saying that's across the board. Obviously, there are some amazing actresses, you know, mm. that get a lot of work, you know, and they have lines on their face. It's, you can't generalise, but as, you know. You would have to the say... The is probably much the, exactly, smaller. Exactly. Yeah. It's much rarer, I'm sure. Mm. Um, cool. Thank you so much, Jane, for, uh, for doing this podcast. Um, there's one question I like to ask at the end of the show of mm. everyone. Mm-hmm. And it's grammatically ambiguous, mm. so up to your interpretation. Okay. The question is, what makes you silly? Um... Oh, I just am silly. Um, <laughs> what makes me silly? Oh, I don't know. Um, I think I don't take myself too too seriously. I'm very silly with my kids. Um, I don't know. That's all I know how to answer it. <laughs> what do? What? How do your kids make you silly? Um, oh, I'm not afraid to completely muck around and just be an absolute dick with my kids. <laughs> so. <laughs> You know, and and other people as well. Actually, I I probably, you know, too honest for my own good sometimes. And mm-hmm. you know, but that was <laughs> yeah. a very deep and I feel like we went quite quite deep and philosophical. And, That's whoa, the way we roll. Wow, you roll in a kind of yeah, deep well, <laughs> way. Wow, I feel like a whoa. We roll in a deep puddle of mud. Yeah, yeah, it was really entering the mind vortex there. Mm. Cool. <laughs> thank you so much, Jane. No worries. Thank you. <laughs>